Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. I choose to see the beauty. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Uh, if you are here because you're subscribed to Still Watching, but you're a little confused because you are listening to our Mrs. America podcast also right now, just to let you know that Westworld and Mrs. America Still Watching are sharing the same feed for just two more weeks, uh, and then it will be all Mrs. America all the time. So this is uh, Richard and I are here to talk about Westworld Season 3, Episode 7, Past Pawn. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time ever on Still Watching, what we do on this show is Richard and I usually pick one show, right now we're watching two, uh, that we are sort of obsessed with and chew over uh, each episode every week. Sometimes we have guests uh, who are on the show. Last week, we had a great interview with Tessa Thompson. We've got some great interviews on the Mrs. America side of things. Uh, but this week, we are talking about the episode Pass Pond and also some uh, some big Westworld news is what we're going to kick off with this week. So Richard, <laughs> where were you when you heard that Westworld was renewed for a fourth and maybe fifth and sixth season? I mean, I was where I've been for the last 
six weeks, like <laughs> my bedroom. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was shocked. I mean, regular listeners to this podcast will know that I had sort of been thinking uh, fatalistically that we were headed toward the series finale of this show um, mm-hmm. just in a week's time. Um, at, because I just, you know, the ratings hadn't been what they used to be. And it just felt like things were kind of closing uh down and yet uh i was wrong just as i was wrong about ed harris being done a couple episodes ago uh (laughs) westworld itself is not done so um in case you had missed the news um it was reported this week that uh you know hbo sent out an official press release saying that westworld was renewed for season four but then the Hollywood Reporter had a, you know, uh, some, some juicier insider tidbits, um, that I suspect may have something to do with what, you know how sometimes a little fun, fun journalism fact, uh, sometimes when journalists have scoops that, you know, a network or a studio doesn't want, you know, out there or whatever, uh, they will issue a press release before the scoop to sort of like get in front of it. So I don't know exactly what the timing was, but I suspect that, um, THR had this information and was going to write this piece and HBO is like, let us get it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like inventing things at this point, but uh, it, that happens all the time uh, in terms of when studios announce certain things. It's because journalists have uh, heard some things. So anyway, THR knows, or maybe, maybe HBO wanted us to know this, that Westworld was headed for another season at least. Um, so that if the finale ends on some kind of cliffhanger, we're not like, wait, what the, he- what the heck? Anyway, uh, season four, definitely happening. And then, THR has this added information that, um, that the renewal, according to THR, uh, is part of a larger payout that Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan received as part of their nine figure overall deal that they signed with Amazon. That deal included, quote unquote, an upfront payment for their services as showrunners on Westworld for what sources say will be its final three seasons, taking it to season six. So essentially, right, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, uh, go to sign this overall deal with Amazon, uh, which was announced last year. And, and, and the announcement of that overall deal was one of the reasons I think some people thought Westworld would be ending soon because they'll be busy making stuff for Amazon. Um, but what HBO did, uh, on their way out the door, it seems is pay them in advance, uh, to show run Westworld up to season six. And so whatever the ratings case may be, HBO has already bought and paid for Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan to show run this show. So it's sort of like, why not get your money's worth and do the show anyway? You know, um, I have some other thoughts on this, but Richard, I, I wondered if you had any initial reactions you wanted to hop through. Did you say nine figures? That was part of their nine, the nine figure deal that they signed with Amazon. Wow. Yeah. What are we doing? Why are we talking about TV and not making it? <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I guess if they were that adamant about getting that funding, it must mean that they have a clear roadmap for the show. I don't think that HBO, regardless, would have paid for it had they not had confidence that the show um, had a sense of, you know, mission to it. I mean, I know that when you are pitching a show to a network, a lot of times you have to present at least two full seasons of ideas, but probably these days it's more if you know people are going to commit to it being more than just like a limited series which are so popular now um right but yeah i mean i i think uh, look as long as they are you know they, they may stay at the helm and it doesn't you know become a weird 
thing where another mind takes the show over, which sometimes can be a good thing depending on the series, but I don't think would be for this one. Um, then I'm, that's fine. I just, I don't know. I hope they find a way to get back to the park because I I sort of miss that dynamic, but I guess the, the horses are out of the barn on that one probably. I mean, Serac torched cold storage last week and, uh, Dolores has said a lot of things in this week's episode about like, you know, my kind are, are pretty much, uh, in, you know, endangered species thanks to Serac, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, I, I miss the park as well. Um, that would be fun to get back to. So a couple, uh, you know, a couple other things on this. I think a lot of people were surprised to hear this, not just you. Um, and that was because of that overall deal we talked about, the ratings decline, the fact that they had like trimmed back the cast this season, um, the fact that they were already out of the park. So that felt like a sort of ramp up to, um, you know, an end game sort of thing. Um, but, uh, here's, here's a couple things to keep in mind. Um, despite the fact that the ratings, uh, you know, they, the live watch for the season three premiere was 57, a 57% decline from last season's premiere. Um, those are live numbers only, but that, that's true. That being said, it still made Westworld, like those numbers are still higher than a lot of other HBO shows. Um, higher than the Watchmen premiere, higher than the outsider or like comparable with the outsider euphoria, his dark materials and succession. Um, you know, it gets more complicated when you factor in DVRs and stuff like that. Ratings are always a little, a little tricky to navigate, but basically like, despite the fact that it is half its audience from last season, um, it's still more popular than in a lot of new shows that HBO has tried to get off the ground. Um, and that, you know, that you, there's a, there's a premium on familiarity on like brand recognition. You know what I mean? So the, the, the effort as uh, the TV landscape gets more and more crowded, it's harder and harder to get anyone to pay attention to a new show, but Westworld, despite, you know, people's critiques of it or whatever is a show that has been around, you know, for like four years now, because it airs like every other year, basically. So it's like a four year old show. People are familiar with the jokes with like, that doesn't look like anything to me or violent delights have violent ends and stuff like that. So there's a familiarity that makes it a more valuable property than maybe something newer. So there is that. Um, and yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I'm, I, I was, I was surprised, but I'm, I'm excited to know. You know, something that James Marsden said, uh, I always go back, I go back to this interview a lot. Um, in, in the first season of Westworld, uh, when they were trying to get that first season made, which was an enormously, I think it was like a hundred million dollars was how much the first season cost. I believe that that's the reported budget of the first season of Westworld, making it like one of the most expensive shows of all time. Um, they had to take a hiatus um, while they were making season one. Uh, and James Marsden gave an interview to Entertainment Weekly saying like, uh, you know, whenever, the, whenever there's like a hiatus on a production, people are like, whoa, is it in trouble? You know, like questions around Titanic, et cetera. Um, and Marsden was like, they took a pause to figure out um, what 
the long range plan would be. He, he said, uh, it wasn't about getting the first 10 episodes done. It was about mapping out what the next five or six years are going to be. We wanted everything in line so that when the very last episode airs and we have our show finale five or seven years down the line, we knew how it was going to end the first season. So, you know, we've known that Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan mapped out a multi-year plan back in that first season. But what's a little funny about all that is, you know, um, Marzen says we, but like Marzen isn't on the show anymore. So if the initial plan involved Teddy somehow making it to the end game, uh, that plan was changed. And obviously like plans change all the time, but I'll be curious. So do budgets. Uh, yes, exactly. So do budgets. And I'll, I'll be curious to know, uh, and I don't know if we'll ever actually know, um, when we finally get to the end of Westworld, uh, many, many years from now, I guess, um, if, if that plan, uh, if that, that landing point is what they're aiming towards. But I always like it when a show knows where and when it's going to end. I think the storytelling gets better. So I'm wondering if knowing maybe that they're only, that they're, that they are going to do six seasons will help, you know, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan sort of tighten up a little bit and and figure out everything yeah and i i think i think the 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 easy comparison to make would be at least if you're me would be well they knew that when game of thrones was going to end and i thought the end was just you know unsatisfying compared to the beginning but the difference there is that they had a really rich source of material up into a point and then had mm-hmm. to kind of end the story themselves. Whereas Westworld has always, I mean, obviously there's the Crichton um, original, but for the most part, this show has always been its own thing with, and, and kind of, you know, very close circuit um, in terms of what it's, it's, it's its own IP, you know? Um, so I trust that they know how to tell the end of their story rather than, than show writers trying to interpret or anticipate the ending of someone else's story. So there we go. Uh, Westworld, it will be journeying on <laughs> for some time to come, it seems. Um, you know, whether or not we will be doing a still watching about it, I don't know. We're, we're in quarantine. We don't know what the future looks like. We'll see. But, um, you know, maybe the future looks like whatever it is we saw on this week's episode. So let us talk about that. And if you are watching this video, Either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect. Her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
Um, we've got a, you know, a few different chunks of narrative. So let's, let's take it one chunk at a time. Um, and the easiest place to start is this, uh, at the beginning with, with Charlotte and Saito and, uh, Maeve's two lieutenants. Um, we are in Indonesia and this, you know, we see the end of Saito and the introduction of Maeve's two lieutenants, Clementine and Hanrio, and, uh, in this like action scene in uh, a beautiful restaurant there. Um, Richard, were you excited to see these two ladies? What did, what did, how did all of this, uh, work for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. You know, I said I want to go back to the park. So if we can't do that, I'm excited when old friends from the park, you know, emerge uh, in the real world. Um, you know, I hope that they, those two characters have something to do beyond just being the sort of enforcers for Maeve. Um, but I don't know if that's really going to be the case. I mean, I think because the end of this episode leaves everything in a very big question mark place. Um yeah, it was a fun scene. Um, and, you know, I, I like, I like that it didn't involve any of the, the sort of more principal actors, you know, mm-hmm. but they were all sort of fan favorite Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think, I think that, um, the different Dolores is, is becoming a little bit more clear kind of conceptually to me. Um, especially in this episode where you see, um, you know, Charlotte, or the Charlotte Dolores, I think they're calling her Holores or something. Um, she's now kind of realized that original Dolores, original recipe Dolores is like, maybe not doing the right thing or, or is kind of bad. Um, so I think that the way that this mirrors Ed, um, Williams uh, wars with himself, we now have a war with oneself kind of manifested really physically. And I think that's interesting. I think that um the 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 rebellion of yeah they call her Heloris um I just call her Charlotte because it is easier for me to remember but uh feel free to call her whatever you want but uh this character played by Tessa Thompson like she has decided after her uh after Charlotte's family blows up in the end of um the last week's episode that uh, Dolores you know she is broken from Dolores prime and it looks like she's you know culling the herd and um it's interesting that Dolores prime has not figured out that this is happening yet um what's also interesting is the shot we do get of Tessa Thompson because when last we saw her right uh Charlotte slash Heloris was a little like crispy fried, right? From the car accident. Uh, she doesn't have the ability to regenerate her own skin. And yet we do see her face, but that's all we see. We see her face. And then like the rest of her is in very apparent shadow. So, um, the question is what is going on with her and her face? And, um, well, so yeah. I, I, she can explain that. So what happened was she used, to, she was the star district attorney of Gotham City. <laughs> but then she was betrayed or had an accident. And now she is, I guess, kind of two faced, you could say. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, where did she get that face? <laughs> That she put on her back on her face uh, is is a question we all have, and what is going? Well, on how many the of the milk machines are there? That's that's a big question. You know, we we know that Sirac has some. We know that there's the one in the house that Bernard built or Al- Arnold built. Um, but are there others? We saw the big factory of milk stuff 
um, in the in the first uh, fight between uh, Maeve and another Dolores. But um, maybe first of there are all, more. love you calling in a milk machine. Um, yeah, the well, and the question is, you know, Charlotte says she leaked Saito's location to an interested party. And, you know, Maeve's lieutenants are there, Clementine and, and Hanryo. So, like, uh, did she leak it directly to Maeve or did she leak to Sirak? Is she officially, like, in cahoots with Maeve or Sirak? Or, and if so, if she is, you know, joined forces with Sirak, um, did he give her access to the milk machine to get a face back? But if he gave her access to a milk machine, why wouldn't she print a whole body? Because I don't believe the rest of her looks whole uh otherwise she wouldn't be in shadow like that i think we're headed towards some yeah. sort of creepy reveal so um and, and i think she's playing a third angle i don't think that she's come into you know full step with Sirac. Mm-hmm. i think that, um you know it's it's now becoming like everyone it, it, it's it's kind of almost like a metaphor for like infighting within the progressive movement, you know, like, like everyone <laughs> sort of wants America the same thing, bleeding through. <laughs> yeah. but they have like very different ideas yeah. of how to get there. Um, and so they kind of attack each other versus, um, going after the, the other thing. Um, sure. You know, uh, so I, I, I feel like we are maybe next week or maybe next season, who knows, headed toward a big kind of grand convergence of all of these different motivations that will, I don't know, maybe it's like going to be like an end game style battle or something, but I kind of doubt that. Right. Cause we've got Charlotte, Maeve, Bernard and Dolores, all hosts that if they work together could be unstoppable, but are all seemingly sort of at odds with each other. Right. And um, yeah, that is a good metaphor for the progressive movement. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, in this episode, right, there's a, there's a, part where Dolores and Maeve are fighting and Dolores says like you know we want the same things and Maeve's like don't align my interests with yours and I'm like why not <laughs> join forces man um, but you know we've got three more seasons for them to figure out uh, that maybe that they need to join forces I mean like something that you said I think last week was you were like I think Dolores is going to die before the end of the season and I, I was with you when we thought that this might be the last season but now that we know that there are three more seasons it's hard to imagine Westworld without Evan Rachel Wood. Um, but there are, there are a, a myriad of possibilities for that. Like, for example, um, the, the host with Tessa Thompson's face on it, um, you know, that character could be played by Evan Rachel Wood next season. You know, like the body swapping options are, are endless on Westworld. So, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. There are a lot of ways to die on Westworld. Yeah. Um, less so for the actual humans, although their consciousness can be, you know, put inside a pearl. Right. Um, so yeah, nothing is really final. Um, it seems. So, I mean, the, la- the last thing that I would, um, that I would say is that, um, Saito before, before he gets the call from Charlotte, Saito is saying, um, or Musashi, however you prefer to think of him, um, is saying, um, deliver the, you know, have you found him? Deliver this to our friend, blah, blah, blah. So this is a person, I, we don't know who he's talking about. I think who he means is the last Dolores Pearl that is yet to be revealed, that we believe to be in Berlin. Do you want to hear my like crackpot theory? We don't know who's who the last Dolores Pearl is, but do you want to hear my crackpot theory as to who it is? 
I'm like really proud of this one. Angela Merkel. Yes. <laughs> no. Well, I was looking like, okay, who, oh, let, let me, let me, do, let me put it this way. Who, you know, you mentioned like, you'd like to go back to the park, but if we can't go back to the park, at least it's fun to see like Clementine and Honorio out here um, in the real world. I already asked you before who you think the last pearl could be. And I think you said, uh, Abern- Peter Abernathy, like Dolores' father, but like, who- Oh, I thought, no, I thought that was going to be one of the pearls oh. that Maeve requested. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I didn't think it was going to be a Dolores. Who, who, like, who would you be excited? Who from our past would you be excited to see in Berlin? Um, being Dolores. Um, like James Marsden in like the gay red light district, maybe. Or... <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, uh, I don't know. So what do you think? So here's my, here's my theory. Um, Clifton Collins Jr. Who played Lawrence. Uh, his father is German. Cause I was kind of thinking like it, the person who's there does not have to be German or speak German in any way. But I was just like, it feels like something that they would want to, like they could pick anywhere in the world for these hosts to be. And wouldn't it be more fun if the reveal is that host speaks, you know, a language where we are, that was certainly the case. Um, with the Musashi host, like running the Yakuza. So, uh, Lawrence, uh, Dolores. <laughs> um, See, I mean, it, it works. It works in Berlin. Like, I don't know. I was trying to figure out it. Like, so Clifton Collins Jr. I was trying to find a cast member who speaks German, and I found out that Clifton Collins Jr., who is also part Mexican and um, Native American, um, on his mom's side, is German on his dad's side, and so I was like. If he speaks German, I would not be surprised. Um, and it would be fun to see him. I think that would be a fun reveal, right? So that's a, that's a crackpot. Totally. Cause he was like a significant entity in the first season. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, 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 we maybe forget cause the second season went a different direction, but yeah, that would be really interesting. I like that idea. So, um, not that these hosts, um, have anything to do with the hosts that are in the Valley Beyond, et cetera, because, um, that's a different thing. Like, that's why I think James Marsden's not, not gonna come back, though you never know. Um, but, um, but Lawrence was not one of the hosts that was sent to the Valley Beyond. Um, but it, it's, it's just their skin anyway. It's Dolores on the inside. So, uh, fingers crossed for Dolores. Okay. So that got us through the cold open. Um, let's do the rest of the episode. It's actually, I mean, like, the thing about this episode is a lot of space is taken up with this slow rollout of what Caleb's real backstory is. And to me, I mean, so one of the mandates this season was that Westworld be less confusing. And so this sort of like slow rollout of it, like makes sense to me. There's a lot of exposition in this episode. Uh, it's basically all Jeffrey Wright gets to do, but um, the, the, the reveal of Caleb's backstory that yes, he was in the army, but no, his friend didn't die in the war. That in fact, um, they were two of these sort of, um, outliers that we've been hearing about that their uh, memories were edited, um, by the Solomon machine and that, uh, it was, you know, Caleb in the end who killed Francis because he was sort of, backed into a corner 
by the app and by, you know, sort of uh, manipulated into it slightly by this figure, uh, Whitman played by Enrico Colantoni. The actually the most interesting thing to me about that reveal, because the reason the slow rollout doesn't super work for me is it's, this is stuff that I feel like you and I kind of figured out two episodes ago in genre with what they showed us there. You know what I mean? And I didn't mind it being fully laid out for us. I just reminded it slowly being unfurled for us throughout the episode. Um, my favorite part of it though, was the fact that the Rico app that we've been like familiar with this whole time has this other sinister um, purpose to it, uh, which I did think was, was kind of uh, clever, but the other stuff I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't need to see it played over and over and over again until we get the final reveal. What did, what did you, how did that work for you? Yeah, it felt a bit same, you know, repetitive. And I, you know, I, I, I think that I have a somewhat low tolerance for, um, like the weird flashbacky kind of recurring, you know, images repeated, repeated to kind of express someone's mental disarray. You know, it gets a little bit hokey after a while. I think the ultimate reveal also, while, I mean, it, it made sense to tie Caleb into this bigger narrative. It also felt a little small given the huge lead up to it. You know what I mean? Um, okay. That's interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess I just mean like I was expecting if for all of the kind of foreshadowing of it in, in previous episodes and then spending a huge bulk of this episode building to it it was just ultimately like oh you're part of this whole system as much as other people are you know um i guess that would itself constitute for that for for caleb a pretty horrifying revelation but i think for me watching i was like okay like that that feels you know that makes sense given what we're what the show is now talking about but it maybe didn't live up to i thought um the the show's kind of internal hype yeah i mean i guess i for me the reveal that like that he killed his friend is something I think we figured out two episodes ago. Um, but I understand not everyone's watching episodes multiple time and with like insane amount of scrutiny the way that I am. But like, um, the, the idea that he was responsible for rounding up other people that felt heavy enough for me. Um, the idea. So, so let's go through sort of what, what the whole process is here. Basically, Sirac invents, Sirac and his brother invent Solomon. Solomon is an AI that, um, you know, I guess, uh, as they put it, has inherited some of the schizophrenic tendencies of its creator, Jean-Michel, Ciroc's brother. Um, and so they, you know, eventually Ciroc creates Rehoboam uh, to be like the more controlled version of Solomon. Um, but Solomon uh, and the whole insight uh, system is what they're up to is seeking out these aberrations um, that Sirach talked about a couple episodes ago and uh, eliminating them and using early aberrations who were successfully quote unquote edited to be the ones to hunt down um, these other aberrations in society. And what I find disturbing, this is something that we had sort of, uh, you know, touched upon earlier because I was worried about this is the aberrations seem to be mentally ill people. Um, that's what the system considers an aberration. And that sort of, um, I mean, I think we're supposed to be uncomfortable around that. I just have an added layer of like, I, I I'm not confident the show is being entirely responsible in the way that it is um, categorizing this. 
Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But we're not supposed to take Sirach's approach to this uh, as the right thing to do. So what Sirach has decided to do is try to take these people out of the equation. And if you, there's this one, like, there's a couple different, like, freeze frames on the, um, on various screens. I take a lot of screenshots of tablets on this show, um, where it sort of shows, uh, Francis and Caleb's Rico history. And there's one mm-hmm. where it's like, um, Basically, like, you know, it's like, um, assassinate success dead. So like the, the mandate was to assassinate the person. They did it. That person's dead. But then there's other things like kidnap and ransom and the success behind it comes annotated with a pod and a number. So basically, like, sometimes they're killing people and sometimes they're successfully capturing them and then putting them in these pods. Um, effectively the insights version of cold storage, which is all these coffins that they see. And my understanding and then they is, get, sorry, they ahead. get engaged to someone after eight days, having never seen each other in the pods. Right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's the, uh, it's the crossover of our dreams. Um, yeah. I mean, d- d- just to pause though, I mean, like yeah. this is a lot of, this is a, this episode is a big data dump, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think that like, I, an initial viewing felt really lost. So it helps to have you kind of even talk it through. Um, but I do find myself wondering if some of this could have been meted out a little bit more. I agree. With, you know, a little bit more of a, of build to it in starting in earlier episodes, but maybe not. I mean, I don't know. Either with like 10 episode season or, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I don't know if they're prizing the like surprise of it all over giving it us to it in smaller doses. Do you know? But yeah, okay. So basically, Ciroc has put these people in cold storage, meaning they're not dead. Those people in the coffin, like like structures, seem to be cryogenically frozen, Um, much like his brother is. Like, they go up, like, uh, you know, there's all these coffins below, but then there's, like, the one Jean-Michel and, like, the, the altar that is this, like, uh, you know, system. Um, Jean-Michel is, is a little like frozen up there. And, and we know from the hologram of Ciroc that we see in this episode that he in, like, we get, we understand Ciroc's full motivation now, which is Ciroc wants this Delos information, this key to all the data, because he's trying to figure out a way to fix the unfixable people. So like Caleb was fixable. But like his brother was unfixable. And so he's hoping that and, and, you know, once again, fixing is the word wording of the show and is not my interpretation of what should happen with people who are living with schizophrenia, et cetera. Um, and so, uh, you know, so, so basically Sirak is hoping that he gets this Dallas information and he can then like, like this, the whole thing with Sirak, he doesn't see himself as the bad guy, right? So well, I don't think anyone does. Right. You know, I think that's yeah. an interesting kind of thing about this show is we saw with William, you know, last week was like, everyone is sort of coming at this with a sense of at least some righteousness. Right. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Well, exactly. And so he is like, he's not like, basically, the system solution for these aberrations is to send them to war zones, etc. Like, kill them. And Strock is like, is there another way? Can I fix them and release them to society? And so Caleb is a quote unquote successful version of that. Um, which is like he's been edited and released back into, you know, the wild, et cetera. But there are people who, res- sorry, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just gonna say like another kind of political <laughs> allegory or something uh-huh. is Sirach made something that he thought was kind of ideal until that ideal turned on someone who was close to him, kind of, right? Like in terms of his brother. Right. Um, you know, and I think about like people who wanted to strip the federal government of its power to some extent and not have people have healthcare and all that stuff. All of a sudden when, when certain things are ailing right now, they're like, Oh, but wait, no, no, I, I, I the system is, is now bad, you know, that I created. Um, it's, it all goes back to like Frankenstein and his monster kind of stuff. Like it's, it's an interesting, um, kind of psychology. And I really, really hope that we get a moment of Ciroc played by the great Vincent Cassell to express that kind of, um, mm-hmm. almost a horror at what he created because right now he's just so like one step ahead of everyone and smooth and slick. But I, I just feel like that reckoning is coming and I'm, I'm, I'm eager for that, especially with based on all the new information we have now, because what essentially is happening is he, his terrible invention has now necessitated him to kind of control the eugenics of it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, you know, he sees it as like, as fixing, as helping, as doing better than the system would. He is going to save these people with this Delos information. And so this pursuit of, uh, the data that's, you know, that Dolores has possession of is a personal one for him because his brother, he can then unfreeze his brother, right? And fix his brother and quote unquote. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that there is real opportunity for Vincent Cassell to really grapple with that. And now that we know that there's going to be more seasons of Westworld, I desperately hope Vincent Cassell is not a one season villain, uh, or antagonist because I really love him on the show. And I, I liked this part with the hologram where he's like, you know, if you're seeing this, my plan works, you're awake, my brother, but I can't be with you because I am not the man that I, you know, like he doesn't see himself as the bad guy, but he also realizes that he's had to do bad things in pursuit of this great, what he considers the greater good. And so he says in the hologram message, like basically, I can't be with you because I'm not, I had to kill the Ciroc that I was in order to save you sort of thing, which is compelling and interesting. Um, and not everything in this episode works for me, but that really does. So, uh, so does that make sense? The whole, like, I don't like, I think there is an idea, especially like, you know, if we think about the matrix, which is something that's easy to think about when we watch Westworld there, you could interpret those, pods, those coffin-like pods is like some sort of battery. But I don't think that that's, I think they're in just in hypersleep or whatever you want to call it until Ciroc figures out a solution. Um, so I don't think it's about exploiting. I mean, it's a damaging thing to just put people in, you know, the freezer. But uh, I think it's not about, you know, them generating power. It's about him powering up their life support uh, until he can, uh, wake them up, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so then we, yeah, so we, we, um, you know, Dolores and, and Caleb meet this other AI, uh, there's Rohoboam and there's Solomon. Uh, Solomon is voiced by the actor who plays Jean-Michel. So like, you know, uh, when asked what it should sound like, it defaults to Jean-Michel. So that's why it's vaguely French. Um, I and- liked having a big glowing orb with a French accent. Yeah, it was great. Because usually it's a, it's usually it's a British accent or yeah. it's like a weirdly flat, like, you know, 
Hal. Hal, from, yeah. You know, kind of American accent. But yeah, having it be French was was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, and I and like- did you notice that in one in one shot, the big orb was smoking a cigarette? <laughs> and had a beret and a baguette tucked under its arm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked the whole, like, offering Caleb um, to hear his own voice. And Caleb's like, no, thank you. Um, I don't like that. And if you had a choice to program like Siri or Alexa or whatever to sound like you, would you do it? No, no. Yeah. I hear enough of myself trying to <laughs> listen back to these podcasts and see how bad I sound. Um, <laughs> same, same. I, I think I'd want Ann Dowd. I think that's who I would Ooh. Want. Yeah. Uh, I would just make her say, it would just make it say Hulu. Hulu. <laughs> oh my God. I want to think about what I would want my personal Solomon to sound like. Um, Someone you wouldn't mind hearing like apocalyptically bad news from. <laughs> oh, I know my answer, but it's embarrassing. I'm blushing. It's, uh, it's Ian Glenn, uh, who oh. people know as Jorah on Game of Thrones. I just love the sound of his voice or Richard Dormer That's from Game one. of Thrones who played Beric Dondarrion has an amazing voice. So either one of those voices. Um, so uh, the the Solomon the, we, I mentioned persons of interest on this um podcast was Jonathan Nolan's other show um and a lot of people have wrote uh, written in to tell me like since I brought it up have written in to tell me that in the later seasons of that show um there there was a second AI reveal and we wound up with like warring AIs um and I'm just like I can't help but think that Jonathan Nolan is like that idea I had before, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it with a bigger budget sort of thing um, with what's going on this season. But like, I'm, you know, and I, and I don't mind that there's this, there was a really great, I don't know if you saw it, the really great um, video um, going around the internet this week uh, that was sort of drawing comparison between Snowpiercer and Parasite and talking about how like, Bong Joon-ho, director Bong Joon-ho, uh, who directed both of those films, really perfected an idea he started in Snowpiercer with Parasite. And I, it was, it's a great video. Um, I think it was on, um, Insider was, was the, uh, was the source of the video. Uh, one of those beautiful, like, video essays that makes me feel really dumb about not noticing things about framings of shots and stuff like that. But, um, the, uh, the idea of certain creatives, uh, perfecting ideas, um, o- over the course of the various stories that they tell. Um, and I think the same could be said of, of this idea of memory. Um, uh, because obviously like the first big splash Jonathan Nolan ever made was with the film Memento, uh, which is about memory. And in the end of that film, spoiler alert for Memento, you've been warned. Uh, the main character finds out that like, you know, he's been hunting for the killer of his wife this whole time. Um, but he finds out that he's actually responsible in a way um, for uh, his wife's death um, by injecting her over and over again with um, insulin. And so, um, so that's sort of what we see here with Caleb, right? He's, he's like, his mm-hmm. cornerstone is like someone, you know, my friend died in war and blah, 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 and the military industrial complex. And then he's like, I kill my friend. Um, which once once again is something that we sort of saw coming, but like you know this idea of memory and and identity and all of that is is a powerful concept that Jonathan Nolan is obviously like not ready to let go of. So there we go. Yeah, narratives we build for ourselves through kind of faulty memory and um, 
you know, that, that, that metaphor was so palpable in the first season through programmable robots and, you know, stuck on loops. And, but, but I think that the way that this season, while I've had some, some quibbles with the season, the way that it's kind of grafted that it's connected that robot psychology to human psychology in a very direct way. Um, I think that that is interesting and it's, it's, it's fun to watch writers kind of make their point, which is part of the reason I thought this was going to be the final season, but. Well, it's interesting until stuff happens like Bernard says he's editing humans and then he turns to William. He's like, just like with host. And I'm like, yes, we get, we get it. Well, we that's a little it. on the nose as yeah. is Bernard saying this place was a tinderbox waiting for a spark or something. It's like, okay, we could elevate the pros here a little bit, guys. Um, let me hit, let, let me hit on one thing, uh, about Dolores before we, we bop over to Bernard, which is like the, what happens, you know, I don't know what Dolores's motivations are here. She claims she wants this AI to give her a plan for a revolution. She's urging and pushing Caleb to be a leader of men. I, I gotta say, I don't believe her that that is her motivation. Um, I'm more inclined to believe Bernard's interpretation of her, which is that she's sending Caleb off to destroy humanity in some way. Um, you know, she's, she's selling him some sort of story about wanting the best for humanity because, oh, don't worry about my people. They're all but extinct at this point, but you, you humans can live on. And I'm like, okay, Dolores, I don't buy that from you at all. Um, and I think it's underlined by this. So, so, uh, she's trying, I love how bitchy, uh, Solomon is to Dolores where she's like, we're the same. You and I is like, we are not the same. <laughs> You're a Delos box. I am a, a very, very sophisticated French AI, <laughs> you know, like, and that outfit is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but she says, we're the same, like you and I both can't leave. And she sort of like, um, gestures to her neck, which is where that explosive was, uh, in her spine in the park. And there's this EMP sort of keeping, um, the AI where it is. Um, and what's almost immediately after that, Caleb's like, I don't like this. I want to leave. And she says, you can't leave. And then again later, he's like, I don't like this. I want to leave. And she says, you can't leave. And so like, Dolores is either, you know, completely obtuse or just a full-blown hypocrite if she's like, oh, these people kept me in a place I didn't want to be. And then she's like, you, Caleb, have to stay here in this place you don't want to be. Um, You know what I mean? So I just – I think she's manipulating the heck out of him. What do you think? Oh, yeah, totally. You yeah. know, I think that's the thing is that, you know, Dolores is messianic, uh, you know, drive – um you know, not to make this horrible comparison, but like, it's like Thanos, you know, it's like, sure, you think you're doing the good thing. And it's a big, you know, you know, you know, you have to break a few eggs, but like, at a certain point, you're becoming the problem. Or, you know, you have right. become and, the problem. And that's the Ciroc mentality as well, of course. Right. Um, yeah. So um, we'll, we'll end with the Dolores May fight, but let's just bob over to William and Bernard and uh, Stubbs really quickly. They, they figure out this whole thing. My question last week was like, why does Dolores need to know where the location in Mexico is? If she already knows where William is, well, it turns out there are two different locations. There's the place where William is, which is in Marin County, California in the headlands where they love to put everything in movies, but nothing actually is. Um, 
so he's in Marin County. Um, but, uh, she wanted to track his blood back to the lab, which is in Mexico. So that's sort of, um, what that whole thing was about. And so we get Bernard and Stubbs and William have the like unfortunate task of this episode of just like standing in a lab room trying to explain to us everything that's going on. <laughs> um, with this like classification, you out the outliers, um, the softening the edges. William is like, um, I'm a, I'm gonna, you know, I know what I'm gonna do with Charlotte's blood, mop the floor with it. Like, I don't understand these lines that they've given William in this episode. They're very, they're very silly. Ed Harris is doing his best with some of them. Um, but basically William is like, I, my original sin is inventing the hosts or, or helping to like fund the invention of the ghost of the, of the hosts. And, I'm going to kill every last one of you, including you too. <laughs> so he's like, which is funny. He's like, kill me now or I'll kill you later. Like, what are these lines? Anyway, sorry. What were you saying? It's funny because it's like, Oh, William, there's so much bigger things afoot. Like these yeah. entertainment robots are like the least of anyone's problems at this point. Right. Um, you know, especially cause they're all dying anyway. But, um, yeah, there was some of that writing where it's like, okay, like we show us the stakes. Don't tell us the stakes, you know? Right. Um, but so they, they head out and they stop to get gas, um, or get a car actually. Um, and William gets a gun and he gets the drop on Stubbs and Bernard. Um, which doesn't seem like really the drop because hosts are bulletproof to a certain extent and both Stubbs and Bernard are very strong. So if that works in any, like it's, it's sort of like the dun, 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 but I'm like, that's not going to work in any way. Right. William, like, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Also, I, I mean, all, all love to Ed Harris slash William, who also has just been like holed up in a lightless institution for a long, or like a sunless institution for a long time. You think he can get the drop on a Hemsworth? Right. <laughs> uh, exactly right. He's like um, 70 years old. <laughs> I do like that he called uh, Stubbs a can opener. That was a fun bit of mm-hmm. robot bigotry. Um, but um, the, I also, I, I saw nothing in this episode that uh, disabuses me of my theory that Stubbs is a mole. He's asking these very like interesting questions of Bernard in terms of like, what do you think she wants Caleb for? What is her plan? What is her plan? What is her plan? And I still think he's working for Ciroc. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very, very wrong before. So we'll see. Um, so that's that. And then the last thing we need to talk about is this Maeve and Dolores, uh, showdown that happens, right? That Maeve rolls up. Uh, it, ter- it seems that this last death of Hector was one death too far and it's personal now. And so she's out for blood, uh, with, Dolores and all the other Dolori. Um, so they fight and it is uh, big and expensive looking. And there's like a drone helicopter and Dolores is like little mini drone and there's a sword and Dolores loses an arm. And then she hits that EMP and they fall down. Um, I just want to shout out and, the, ki- yeah. the kitchen fight. I have to think, cause like when the drone first comes in that institute, I'm like, why are we looking at the kitchen of this place? And then later they fight in the kitchen and I gotta think that that's a Jurassic Park thing, but I could be wrong, but that's my thought as to why they were fighting in the kitchen. Um, uh, does, does, did this showdown work for you? What did you think? 
I think that the um, the kitchen fight uh, is tr- yeah d- definitely Jurassic Park, but also um, the raid to the Indonesian um, martial arts oh. film uh, has this like epic kitchen fight um, that I've only seen that I've, I've never seen the whole movie. I've just seen that on YouTube, so I wonder if that is kind of a, a reference point as well. And I like this. Sh- I like. I think it's fun when on occasion this show just goes into pure action territory. I think we don't need it every episode, certainly, but like this one was well executed, and I also loved the choreography of both Maeve and Dolores in different ways using automated technology, drone technology. Mm-hmm. So in essence, like it's almost like their version of, I mean, I guess we literally see Dolores use a horse in this, but it's kind of their version of using like attack animals, you know, attack dogs. Um, but just kind of a, a lesser version, a, a less sentient version of their kind, you know, it's kind of like it's an interesting interaction between technological entities, I guess. Yeah, it it did. Um, I did really like the callback to the episode where Maeve escaped the compound using that little uh, like drone bot, uh, and she uses it again. I thought that was a really that was really slick, right? It comes out of nowhere, but we've seen it before in the episode. But it comes out of nowhere to stab. Um, that felt really earned uh, in like three different ways, and. Um, their disagreement over i just i guess i'm still having trouble accessing this hector death as being being more meaningful than all the other hector deaths that mave has seen i mean i get it he's he's dust now he's done 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 for real done but like um first of all it's westworld so i never trust that that's the case secondly um i don't know he's just she's just said goodbye to him so many times that it's just like it's hard it's hard for me to really access this as like this you killed my friend sort of thing. Do you know? It's that's that's tough. I know the I feel like the show really wants Maeve and Dolores on opposite sides and it's having a hard time doing that because really they're not that dissimilar. And so getting Charlotte and Dolores on opposite sides by killing Charlotte's family, that works for me better than this Hector move does. Do you know? Well it also I, I think the problem is it makes Maeve and the Hale robot, it makes their motivation seem pettier, you know, mm-hmm. because Dolores is on this big existential quest. Right. And if they're, if her opposition is just like revenge, that doesn't feel as weighty as it, as it could maybe. Yeah. I agree with that. But the fight looks great. Both women look great. Um, you can tell that they did a lot of that themselves. I mean, like, um, I know that Evan Rachel Wood was pushing to do a lot of the fight herself, and you can really tell that in a lot of the cases, it's the two of them actually out there uh, doing this fight, um, which is pretty fun to watch. And uh, like I said, Dolores loses an arm, and the EMP move was also really slick. I missed it the first time, like, what that thing was so i had to go back and rewatch it and be like oh they did set this up okay um so the emp thing is pretty slick uh very smart move mave once again seems to escape uh you know any kind of destruction because i'm presuming i don't know but i'm presuming caleb caleb rolls up is gonna you know abscond with dolores and mave is gonna wake up to be like damn she slipped through my fingers again sort of thing so um We'll see. Might not roll out that way, but that would be my guess. And then Maeve, there's this awkward part where like Maeve hears Caleb and she's like, Oh, you have an ally. Well, he doesn't sound like much. And it's like, so it's a little weird. And I'm just sort of like, well, obviously that means he is going to amount to plenty if Maeve is like brushing him off, you know? So 
I don't know. That was, that was another moment. All right. Well, I mean, that's this episode. We did it. We're headed into the finale. What do you want to see in the finale, Richard? Mm, I would like to see, um, um, I would like to see more from Clementine and Hanario. You know, I hope that that, that one little, you know, cold open wasn't their only thing. Um, I also think that, uh, I think they're going to have to find an interesting way to balance if there is a final battle coming to how to balance that and how to kind of align people, you know? Um, I also think that they need to put Serac more physically in there. This whole trick of like, Oh, just kidding. It was a hologram the whole time that's been used several times. And I think we yeah. really need to na- now have him physically involved. Um, because otherwise he just seems like this too elusive talked about villain who actually, it doesn't really like is, is actually sort of passive in the whole thing. So I'm hoping that he really enters the fray next week. Uh, yeah, I would really like something very meaningful and emotional for Bernard to do. This episode really drove home for me. Like he has just been kind of shuffled around this season without any real like emotional storyline to play with at all. And that seems to be a big waste of Jeffrey Wright, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So I would like to give him something meaningful and emotional to do. I admit that's maybe too much to ask of a finale, but maybe next season, uh, we can, we can give Jeffrey Wright a better plot line. Uh, that would be my request. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, I want more of the, of the quote unquote insane French AI. I hope this is not the last we see of Solomon. Um, when Dolores is like, this EMP is here to, uh, prevent him from escaping. I just like, I know that's not what she is meant by it necessarily, but I was just like envisioning the enormous ball, like rolling out like the Indiana Jones, uh, boulder to be like, Oh, I am here to conquer the world. I am Solomon. Uh, fear me. So, um, that's uh, maybe that'll happen in the finale. That would be great. I'd love to see it. Um, all right. Until. Until we, and we will, we should say, uh, we don't anticipate having screeners of the finale. Um, so we will be watching along with the rest of you on Sunday, which means the podcast will not drop immediately after the episode like it usually does. We will probably release it on the Monday. Uh, so you will have to wait yeah. a little bit. Um, so we appreciate your patience in advance. And, uh, Richard, until then, where can folks find you? Well, I think where they can find both of us, we got to get to work writing season four. Uh, you know, they've been listening to the podcast and they were like, you guys just do it. You seem to have all the answers or all the questions. So, so yeah, we got to do that. Um, if I have a, a break between breaking, you know, each episode, I will be tweeting at Rylas and writing for VF.com. Um, yes. Where is our nine figure deal? We are ready. Um, Yes, you can find me on VF.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And please do tune in to our coverage of Mrs. America. Um, I'm having a lot of fun uh, with this show and uh, with our interviewees. And we hope that you will tune in for that. Uh, so maybe we'll see you on Wednesday. And if not, we will see you next Monday for the conclusion, season three of Westworld. These violent delights and violent ends.
I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 